0: In the name of jesus i'm uh, going to continue our study here in first timothy 3 verses 1 through 7 but before that let us pray oh lord open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise make haste o god to deliver me make haste to help me o lord glory be to the father and to the son and to the holy spirit As it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, without your help our labor is useless, and without your light our search is in vain. Invigorate our study of your holy word today, that by due diligence and right discernment we may establish ourselves and others in your holy faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Again we pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we ask you to raise up more faithful men to serve in the office of the Holy Ministry for the edification of your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're studying 1 Timothy 3. Last time we called it part 1, now we're going to call it part 2. I'm going to read the verses again and then we'll pick it up. Oh, let's see at verse 3. But starting verse 1, the saying is trustworthy... If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, again, literally, by way of review, in the Greek, it's bishop and episcopus, and again, a reminder, so that you don't forget, a episcopus or bishop or pastor in the New Testament is one who is hooked to a congregation, preaching, baptizing, absolving, Lord's suffering, counseling, um, comforting, etc., teaching. So, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so, Paul says in verse 2: Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Those are the verses we're studying, and this is part two of those verses. Um, Let's pick it up in verse three, where Paul says, If you want to be an overseer, a bishop, you desire a noble task, but you cannot be a drunkard. Now, no doubt, like today, just as it was in the ancient world, in Paul's day, alcoholism was and is a prominent problem, uh, again, not only for the early church, but for the church of all times. And so, you know, if Christianity is going to contribute to its solution, namely uh, alcoholism, then the pastor cannot be an alcoholic. I mean, this is just a no-brainer, isn't it? Um... How many times, no doubt, you've seen this happen where a pastor uh, should not have, uh, a man should not have become a pastor because he was an alcoholic. Um, The parish in which I serve, um, that happened in one of my preceding, the men who preceded me and uh, the reputation of the congregation and his reputation uh, suffered immensely. Paul says, let him not be violent, but gentle. Literally in the Greek, it's not a striker. So where the pastor can, he yields, and he doesn't always insist that he get his way, especially with physical violence or verbal threats. Hmm. That's, really, that's a big thing because the office of the pastor is a very, very high office. At least it used to be in the world's eyes, and sometimes men would take advantage of the office And they would be violent. They wouldn't be gentle. They'd always have to have their way. And if they didn't get their way, they'd threaten either physically or verbally. Can't do that. So the one who aspires to be an overseer, he will be adept at being calm, um, using persuasive words and persuasive ways. But let's keep in mind, remember that Paul Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, he says to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Now that's not being denied here. Now the fight, the good fight of the faith will be continued to contend for the truth of Christianity and salvation only in Jesus Christ. But you're going to do that in a winsome way, in a persuasive way, not violent, but gentle. The one who aspires to be an overseer, he is to be a lover of peace. Um, A good pastor, if I can talk like that, is not quarrelsome as the text teaches. Uh, In other words, you're not going to haggle notoriously, and you're not going to quibble all the time. Because what does that lead to? It leads only to more bitter and raucous words and thoughts and deeds. And people learn from their pastor. I mean, if the pastor is constantly quarrelsome with people, well, they'll become that as well. So that's just simply not good. Now let's move on. Paul says that. If you desire to be an overseer, you are not to be a lover of money. Now, Paul didn't say, notice, he didn't say you, you, you can't have money. <laughs> but he said, you, you can't be a lover of money. And there's a reason for this, because in 1 Timothy 6.10, we learn it is the love of money. Not money in and of itself, but rather the love of money, that's the root of all kinds of evil. And Paul continues that same thought in 1 Timothy 6 when he says, It is through this craving, namely this the love of money, that some have wandered away from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. That's 1 Timothy 6.10. And I'll remind you First Timothy 6.9 since I'm there. Paul says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I'll, I'll call to your memory, and we'll, we'll actually look up some of these passages. Some of them you'll know by heart. In piggybacking here, in 1 Timothy 3, when, when Paul says, if you desire to be an overseer, a pastor, a bishop in the church, that you can't be a lover of money. Why is that? Well, you remember Jesus in Matthew 6, he says, you can't, you can't, uh, Love God and ma- money. Mammon is the old word. You know, you'll, you'll serve one or you'll serve the other, but you can't serve both. Okay, that's Matthew 6, 24. If you've got your Bibles, go to Luke's Gospel and turn to chapter 16. We're going to look at a number of passages here to get the gist of why Paul would say if you're going to be a pastor, you can't be a lover of money. So, Luke 16, and then find verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed Jesus. And you know, shortly after that remark by Luke in Luke sixteen fourteen, starting at verse 19, nineteen verses nineteen and following, then Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And you remember the rich man did not take care of Lazarus. He wasn't he wasn't a believer he had no faith and so therefore there was no there was no love he didn't take care of Lazarus namely the love was where the love was for money and wealth and possessions and so when the rich man dies he goes to hell that's why jesus tells that parable again i repeat luke 16:14 the pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed jesus and so that that's the temptation for a pastor too you'll you'll ridicule the lord jesus christ and his gospel don't want to dare go that way take your bibles or if you've got it on your app and go to john chapter 12 and we'll read a verse from there john chapter 12 and it's verse 6 i believe um this is let's even start at verse oh let's start at verse 1 six days before the passover jesus therefore came to bethany where lazarus was this is a different lazarus than uh Well, you understand what I'm saying. The rich man and Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus. This is the brother of Mary and Martha, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Now Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from the pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now look at at verse 4. This is John 12, 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, that'd be one of his apostles, one of the 12, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? And remember, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer in Jesus' day. So Judas says, Why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 denarii and then given to the poor? And then Luke makes this remark. This is verse 6. Judas Iscariot said this. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas Iscariot, the thief. How about that? Don't be a lover of money. Second Timothy. So we're in First Timothy 3, but now go to Second Timothy. And we're going to go to chapter 3. Second Timothy 3, verse 2. Let's even read verse 1. Paul says, But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. And the verse we're going to read is verse 5. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And then uh, the writer to the Hebrews goes on and says, For he, namely God, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, quoting the Old Testament. Let's look at a couple more passages. I'll tell you what, let me reference a few and you can look them up on your own, okay, for the sake of time. Read Ecclesiastes chapter 5 starting verse 10 all the way through chapter 6 verse 2. And then read Amos chapter 2, verse 6 in the Old Testament. All right. There's other passages I guess you could look up. Micah chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Remember the 9th the and 10th commandments, you should not covet. Well, that has to do with not loving or being the lovers of money. The bottom line here, folks, is this. And this is really, really important for our study today. Bottom line is that the love of money is the mark of what? It's the mark of selfishness. And it is a vice that will corrupt and ruin what? What's the context of 1 Timothy 3? It will ruin the man's pastoral care of his congregation. So when you selfishly clutch or hang on to money with all your might, or let's put it another way, if you cling to money with your whole heart, then you've made it an idol, of course. And if the pastor does that, he's committing idolatry. And so he, he can't serve both God and money or mammon. He'll serve one or the other. And so if he loves money, he's not going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So the love of money shows the lack of trust in the Lord to provide. And, the, and a man who aspires to be a bishop, that can't, that can't happen. Can't happen. Now, we all, we all must repent of this sin, don't we? The old Adam is a lover of money, So there's the daily repentance, confessing our sin, that we love money more than Jesus, and then receive Christ's forgiveness, and then lead a holy life according to God's word. And then whatever money God gives us through our work, our vocations, etc., we use it to support our family, our community, our church, etc. Paul also says, and I'm back to 1 Timothy 3, he says... That you must manage your own household well. I told a man not too long ago who said, I want to be a pastor. And I said, well, you can't even manage your own household. You can't even bring your own own children and wife to church. How do you think you're going to be a pastor? How's that going to go? Okay. So you must manage your own household well. In other words, the man needs to be a competent dad. Um, Serious family troubles never happen without some degree of guilt on who? On Dad. And so if a man is going to be a pastor, the head of the church family where he's at, he has to be able to prove himself in his own household first. I think that's a no-brainer, right? Sure it is. Now, the next part, this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, and then we're going to say goodbye. Paul says that he must not be a recent convert. And I think, I think this is where we, we Christians in our congregations where we live, we need to be very careful here. Um, for example, we have someone who joins our congregation, been, a, been an unbeliever all their life, uh, is converted through the preaching of the gospel, receives holy baptism, and is gathered into Christ's church. And, but shortly after their conversion, the, the man decides to be a pastor. He's only recently converted. And we should, we should tell folks, no, you, you don't do that. Don't do that. Because Paul tells you why, you know, because he might become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. If I remember, I'll say more about that in a minute. But there's another thing that I think we need to be careful of here. When Paul says that he must not be a recent convert, I think we, we need to help our seminaries. We have two seminaries in the Missouri Synod, one at Fort Wayne and one at St. Louis. And then there's one in Canada, Canada that we're associated with, and that's at St. Catherine's sometimes we have to tell the, the seminaries, look, don't recruit men who are recent converts. Why Why would we say this? Well, because seminaries have a vested interest in just getting people on campus, regardless of whether or not they're a recent convert or not. Uh, you understand what I'm trying to say here? So on the one hand, the seminaries are quite eager to have men study for the office of the ministry, and we in the church are too. But the temptation is to, is just to take anybody, including recent converts, when Scripture says that should not be the case. And so, recent converts, men that is, are tempted to go into the ministry way too quickly. Um, you know, when when a, when a recent convert then gets elevated, and I'm not sure if I said that correctly or not, but we'll just run with it. Elevated, and put into the office, of the holy ministry. Well, he may become, as the text says puffed up with vanity and inflated with pride and he's not going to fit in this office of being a servant which requires enormous self-sacrifice those of you who have seen pastors at their pastor gig for a lot of years uh, they they learn that a faithful pastor who is one who constantly is giving of himself. It's 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 a life of self-sacrifice as a pastor. And one of the ways that people talk about it of course is like the pastor's like the the uh, the doctor or the surgeon. He's on call 24/7, 365. Always gives, 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 gives. Life of self-sacrifice. If you're a recent convert, you really uh, are not prepared for such a thing. Does that make sense? So, a man who's a recent convert who I would contend most likely is going to be immature in the faith will be particularly vulnerable to one of the most besetting sins of pastors, and that is pride. And I speak from experience. I mean that one of the one of the greatest sins of pastors is pride. They too much, too much emphasis on themselves. And the devil, then, the accuser. Remember, Revelation twelve ten speaks of the devil as the accuser, also Zechariah 3 1. And if you want to, you can compare Luke 22 31. The devil, who is the accuser of God's people and God's saints, you know, if, if you're a recent convert and you're put into the office of the holy ministry, you're going to make mistakes big time. And the devil's going to come after you. And the devil's going to bring his charge against you. And the devil will demand punishment from God for your mistakes as a recent convert who was put in the office of the holy ministry. Now, I think that's not to say, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean that Kuhlman has been a Lutheran Christian all of his life and wasn't ordained until I was in my 20s. That doesn't mean that uh, I wasn't going to make mistakes and I wouldn't be beset with pride. But there is this thing that we have to watch with recent converts. So I hope that's helpful for you, all right? And continue on that thought. Paul says you, you can't be a recent convert because he must be well thought of by outsiders Continuing this thought of uh, what it means, if you want to be a pastor, you got to be well thought of by outsiders, so that you don't fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Now, even though, and you know, you—I had somebody ask me this not too long ago. What about Saint Paul, who writes these words? I mean, look at his past life. How would, how did he ever qualify? (laughs) And the answer, of course, is you'll have to take that up with the Lord Jesus, who called him. You know, okay. But so Paul, who's been converted. He, his point here with this verse is, even though the sins of a man and his past could certainly disqualify him from the office of the ministry in the church, this is not to, to question whether his sins are fully forgiven for Christ's sake. Because, you know, before God, every person's, every believer's sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus. However, and this is a big however, leadership in the church as a pastor would be likely, and I think... That's, that's safe to say. Would be likely seriously impaired if the man is subject to the mocking of unbelievers because of past sins. In addition, there is the danger of relapse into old sin, which, if it should occur in a pastor, would be doubly damaging to the gospel. And so the pastor may be driven to what? To despair. This is fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. The pastor may be driven to despair or to some kind of rash or wrong action, which in either case, he becomes easy prey for who? For the devil. I've seen this a lot with men in the, in the ministry. Okay, um, It's interesting, again, what Paul doesn't require in these qualifications. He doesn't expect um, expert organizational skills. Did you notice this? Uh, charismatic speaking, finesse, you know, everybody thinks that Paul was a Mel If you know Mel that's the country western singer who died recently, who stuttered. We think that's that may be one of Paul's uh, uh, things that he had to deal with, one of his crosses that he had to bear. Uh, in these verses, there's no call for remarkable spiritual experience or experiences that will ensure kingdom growth. I'm going to tell you a quick story here, and then we're going to we're going to say goodbye. I I served a vacancy. Um, in a former circuit uh, where I served in the past, and uh, the congregation called, I think, yeah, a candidate from the seminary. And so we had the the ordination and installation service for which I uh, helped. And then at the reception, when people would speak, there was a man who spoke. He wasn't a member of the congregation of the vacancy, but he was, he was, a member somewhere in a church in Texas. Now, he told everybody at this, this congregation that in which the vacancy was now filled, he said, I know this man is going to be a great pastor. Uh, he's going to do great work here. And here's the reason why. It's because he had a conversion experience. Did you hear know what I just said? The man said that you, you've got a great pastor because he's, he's had a conversion experience. And that's why I said, you know, there's no call here for remarkable spiritual experiences that will ensure kingdom growth. But that's that's usually what happens with people. We have to be, we have to guard against that. So instead, the qualifications enumerate. By the way, I'm not saying don't misunderstand what I'm doing here. I'm not saying that the pastor needs to be an unbeliever and shouldn't be converted. Of course, he should be a Christian and be converted to faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, but you don't reference the success of pastoral leadership and God giving the growth in the church to something in the man. Everything that goes well in the church, Jesus, you want to know why the church will continue and why the church will continue to grow? It isn't because of something in me or in some other man in the in the office. It's, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his promises. For example, in Matthew's gospel, that not even the gates of hell will prevail against my church. And based upon the confession of Peter, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus says, upon this confession, I will build my church. So wherever Christ is confessed, Jesus is building and maintaining his church until the end of time. It isn't because of Kuhlman and all of his character um, traits or so-called qualifications, if you will, something in me, intranos, but rather extranos, outside of me, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say one other thing on this. I keep saying this. We're going to be here forever, but this will be it. Um, the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7 that are listed indicate that the office of the holy ministry calls for a sturdy man. In German, it's mensch. In German, mensch doesn't just mean male, it means a man, a man's man, if you will, you know, who can inflexibly stand up to human opposition and yet be easily flexible to do God's will. An example of uh, one who was not a mensch, and that's Aaron in the Old Testament. Remember that? Moses is on Mount Sinai the children of Israel complained to Aaron, where's Moses? He must be dead. He must be gone. He's never coming back. So make gods for us who will lead us. You know, Aaron, Aaron should have said, no, no, you'll listen to me. We're going to wait for Moses and we'll wait for the word of God that he will deliver from the Lord on Mount Sinai. But instead, I'm going to paraphrase now. Aaron goes, Well. I guess uh, so. Take off all your earrings and all your precious jewelry and, and rings and all that. Your wrist watches and you know your your anklet bracelets and your, your toe rings and I'll melt them down and I'll make a golden calf and that'll be the god that'll take you and lead you through the wilderness to the promised land. See that Aaron wasn't a mensch. He uh, he should have been a mensch. Who'd have said no? no, we will not do that. I I will not give you permission in that way to do that. And he should have called them to repentance, you see, in that. So this is, this is part of what it means to be a pastor. You know, people, people, the old Adam and people, our old sinful nature always wants to get the pastor on their side to do what? To sin. You know, if you can get the, the holy man, if I can talk like that, if you get the holy man to say, yeah, we can, we can fornicate Uh, before marriage, no problem, or whatever it is. you know. If if the holy man gives permission, well, just fine. That's what the old Adam wants, but no, he's to be a mensch, calling people to repentance and faith and holy living. All right, well, let me bless you, and we'll say goodbye. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you all. Amen. Look forward to speaking to you again. Bye-bye.